Hello, everybody, and welcome. You are listening to Talk Clean to Me. I'm your host, Joe Karen. And I'm Chloe Holzinger. Today, we are sitting down with Spark Plug Power. Um, Sean, if you could go ahead and introduce yourself. Hi, I'm Sean Becker. I'm the uh, president and founder of Sparkplug Power. Uh, we do peak power demand management for uh, commercial businesses and municipal utilities. Uh, what this means is we put a whole bunch of batteries out somewhere where somebody's using power and we levelize that power load. If we look at today's power profile, it's, we're going to peak in about an hour or so. Why is that important? Because they're going to have to ramp up a bunch of generators to serve 45 minutes or an hour. And that's costly. Peak demand, so just to bring the conversation back, we like this to be as educational as possible. The more demand on the grid, the more expensive the power becomes, correct? Yeah. And so what you're saying is that 1% to 10% of the actual usage costs a much more outsized uh, is a much more outsized cost to the city and to the populace because during that time it's more expensive to serve that many more people. Exactly. This wonderful, you know, humankind's greatest engineering marvel, the electric power grid, stands, you know, loosely used, uh, you know, for most of the day, you know, most of the day. And so we might, you know, be never hitting today, we'll never hit 50% of the grid's capacity. Um, other days we might hit it for a few hours. You know, that's not a united planeful uh, overbooked uh, grid. That's something that's got a much lower capacity factor. And, and that's uh, both wasteful financially, and it also allows, you know, polluting generators at, the, uh, at that tail end of the dispatch curve to stick around. So I noticed you haven't mentioned any such power sources such as solar or wind, but really that's those are the markets that this would be most appropriate for. So you think about... When do solar and wind happen? So, you know, today's New England curve looks a bit like what the Californians like to call a duck curve. The duck curve. We call it today in uh, New England. <laughs> uh, and uh, what that means is instead of a nice bell curve, there's a big chunk out of the middle and there's a little spike at the end. Right, because all of the solar gets yeah. generated at the same time. Exactly. So California, you actually see this because of solar. This is just our profile today. And, you know, if you think of your own life, you know, you wake up in the morning, turn on the coffee pot, turn on the toaster oven, uh, you know, and then you go to work and turn all that stuff off. And then so you don't use any electricity in the middle of the day. You go to work. Everybody at work uses work, uh, stuff. And if it's a hot summer day, then that produces that nice bell curve. But in the middle of the year, on this spring or fall, it doesn't do it as smoothly as that. And then in California, what happens in August? The sun shines. So in California, instead of being that nice bell curve, you have a tremendous amount of solar that's being deployed, both in utility scale, but also behind the meter or at, you know, at a building like Greentown Labs. And uh, so what you'll see is that the middle gets less and less uh, uh, you know, demand from the grid because they're self-producing. And so you talk about integrating solar. Solar is also very, uh, it ramps up and down in, you know, predictable but spiky patterns. And so what could perfectly be paired with a, such a thing? Well, we think <laughs> <I> batteries. <laughs> yeah, you knew where I was going with this. Uh, so what we do is we, we d deploy lithium-ion batteries at the site of load. So we'll either do it even as far down as the residential scale, 
we have a pilot project with Hoyle Gas and Electric where we're putting them in houses in a mini data center, which coincidentally has a solar farm. Um, and we're doing it uh, with customers, bigger utility customers or uh, uh, commercial buildings that, you know, expansions of uh, certain clean tech uh, incubators, uh, hospitals, hotels, and the like that pay something called a demand charge. And right. so... Yeah, so the way I think about it, I think it's a very t intuitive concept, right? If electricity is cheap at one point and expensive at another point, what if you could just buy it and store it when it was cheap and use it when it was expensive, right? This would help smooth out the demand curve and you just get cheaper energy. And, and so... And, and that is actually the difficulty of our concept is because it's not just about buying low and selling high. Mm -hmm. The Rockefeller said that was a good idea. Mm -hmm. um, so at nighttime, when we generally charge our batteries, uh, energy, energy prices, so kilowatt hours, mm -hmm. uh, are generally lower. And so that's a benefit to us. But of course, batteries aren't perfectly efficient. Uh, so in daytime, uh, the, the costs are higher, but we have less energy because we're spinning it back out of the battery. However, the real cost is the instantaneous cost of power. Mm -hmm. So a, a commercial building's you know, judged on the worst 15 minutes of the month. So you say you just turned everything on at home for 15 minutes. If you had demand charges, uh, you would be paying that peak, which might be, you know, a 10 times what your normal peak is, uh, but you'd pay that for in the entire month's worth of uh, use, you know, something dollars per kilowatt month. Mm -hmm. uh, so it is slightly different than the energy, the kilowatt hours. And what we've, you know, what I found when uh, electricity was deregulated in Massachusetts was I was talking with a store owner, a small co uh, convenience store, and he's like, you know, they told me I got a 20% discount on my energy. I'm like, and he's like, I just don't see it. You know, it's, it looks, here's my bill, you know, and like, I'm getting a Coke. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, look here. Okay, you know, so you did get a 20% a discount uh, or a 10% discount on this 20% of your bill, which was 2%. Mm -hmm. And the other 80% of the bill went up. So, uh, <laughs> Yes, you did get a discount, but it just wasn't <laughs> for the whole part. Uh, and so you've got to know what you're paying. Uh, and what we've gotten away from is understanding that you know, we're paying for the whole system. The levelized cost of energy, which everybody's as fond of quoting, is important, but it's not what makes the electric power grid go. Cool. And so when you guys, so looking around on your site, you describe yourselves as, so we've been talking about batteries, we've been talking about generation. You're a, a turnkey solution, right? So for people, A, unfamiliar with that term, I'd love an explanation, and B, how does, how does you integrate all of these parts we're talking about? We love batteries. We love power inverters. Uh, we're very fond of solar. Um, we don't generally get that in the general populace. What people want is the lights to come on and the bill to be low. Right. Uh, so what we offer them is a service as opposed to equipment. And we build, own, operate, which is known as a turnkey project. Once we've installed this unit in your house, your you know, hospital, your hotel, your uh, light office building, uh, we then monitor it from a central network operating center, very familiar concept. And we can then make sure that we match those peaks, we can take advantage of those low prices at night, and we have the network effect of doing this, you know, not once, not twice, but hundreds of times as we build out our network. So if I'm the customer, you come in, you install this equipment, you own and operate the equipment, and the bottom line for me is I don't need to know what's happening in this magic black box that you're doing for me. I see my bills go down. Correct. Cool. 
Do you have pilot projects out? So we have a pilot project that's being deployed in Holyoke. Holyoke's a state, a, a city in the uh, middle of Massachusetts. Um, so we have a pilot project there that's going into 10 houses and this data center uh, that's uh, run by a professor from UMass Amherst uh, that integrates the solar. So we get a little bit of exposure to that as well. Can you tell us about landing a pilot project? Like, uh, what was it like finding the right pilot project, financing a pilot project? There's so many pieces that have to come together for a good pilot project. You've got to find some very enthusiastic partners because, uh, you know, so Hoyoke Gas and Electric is this great uh, microcosm of a utility. It has uh, some of the earliest hydropower in the state. It has some of the, the most recent uh, heavy uh, deployment of solar uh, at the utility scale. And in fact, a substantial part of their peak is being uh, you know, met by solar now uh, as it's being deployed there. And uh, they have both urban, a dense urban core and a uh, uh, a large rural area where, you know, even sometimes you can't get cell phone reception. Uh, so it's, it's an interesting test bed. And being right in the center of the state and near a bunch of universities as well, they've been open to, you know, interesting, I wouldn't say crazy, but interesting ideas like we, uh, we brought out to them uh, several years ago. Uh, from that point, then you got to find some money. Right. Uh, and so what we did was we put together a couple of grants, the deed grant program, and they were actually the first grant we got. Uh, they, uh, they granted Holyoke uh, uh, some to uh, try this idea, this, uh, this crazy distributed battery idea out. And then we paired that with our uh, Mass Clean Energy Center grant, mm -hmm. uh, an Innovate Mass grant, uh, which have been uh, popular um, and now has grown into this program called ACES, uh, Advancing Commonwealth Energy Storage, uh, which is you know making Massachusetts a hotbed of the uh, battery storage department. Cool. So if I could just um, test this out on you, so you need so you're doing a pilot project, you need an early adopter, right? And that early adopter needs to be. Uh, risk tolerant, right? Open yes. to new ideas, and they have to have a, a pain point that you solve very acutely, right? Correct. And then on the other end, you need to get the financing to finance that. And when you mix all these things together, you can get a, a successful pilot project. No, then you need <laughs> supply. Uh, then you've got to figure out how am I going to do this? Right. And so it's all great when you put all that stuff together and you have an idea. And it's like then physically doing it takes another another toll. And it's not just technically doing it, but figuring out what's the structure, what's the contracts, what's you know, how are you actually going to accomplish this and you know, do it with the in, in proper fashion. You know, you have to figure out how to do all these things without that big basket of resources that you might otherwise have in mm -hmm. a big corporation. And so you mentioned your experience with the Navy and uh, looking on your, your LinkedIn profile. Um, <laughs> Snooping, Chloe. <laughs> your, your education is primarily in government and international business and um, international relations. You can go ahead and date me here. Uh, I have a, <laughs> uh, a bachelor's in uh, Soviet studies. Uh, wrote that they'd fall apart, and they did. Um, <laughs> All right, nailed and, it. And I have a master of arts in law and diplomacy, although people will question how diplomatic I am. And so, yeah, you say, what, what part of that indicates electrical engineering? Uh, none of that does, but in the Navy, I learned to run gas turbine engines, learned to run very fancy propellers. I ran a microgrid in the Navy. It, mine just happened to float. Uh, mm -hmm. It was called the Navy Destroyer. But going back to that basket of things, uh, it's not just technically being able to do something. It's 
how do you do it with contracts and finance? And that's the experience that I got in, in grad school and at GE. Uh, you throw all of that in the mix, uh, and if you're interviewing for a job, people say, well, that's an interesting, eclectic, uh, unique set of I've skills. I've gotten that comment before. Yeah, but if you're a startup, it all comes in handy. Absolutely. You have the ability to pull a project together, right? Yeah. I was wondering if you could comment on uh, the... <laughs> Uh, favorability or unfavorability of Massachusetts over other states um, for energy storage? So Massachusetts is very friendly to battery storage as an idea. <laughs> and you know, there's a bunch of companies here. So I started up a group called Boston Batteries and Brews. And we've got a whole bunch of battery companies. So you have NEC, the outgrowth of A123. You still have A123's research. You have innovative new battery companies such as Ambry or 24M, which is a new manufacturing process. These are all you know, within 10 miles of the spot. This is just a hub. You know, if you think of oil and gas exploration, I think of Houston. If you think of batteries, you should think of Boston. Uh, and then you add all the great engineering talent from you know, MIT, Northeastern, Tufts. Uh, you know, then you have, you have great access to talent that can implement these solutions and uh, a manufacturing base for power electronics and other components that's, uh, that's re readily available. So I'd like to dig into your journey to being an entrepreneur a little bit. We touched on your background. You come from, it's a very fascinating background <laughs> where you could have ended up doing a million different things from the sounds of it. How did you, with, the, with this very diverse background, how did, how did they coalesce into being the right background for where you are right now? Why did you decide to start a company and do this? So I've always had the idea of starting a company uh, back to even before college. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, in the organizations I was with, it's uh, somewhat difficult. But coming up into uh, 2008 and 2009, got married, had a kid, and moved to Boston. And GE had made an investment in a company called A123. And yep. so I went to talk to them. They were three miles away. And the founder there, Rick Fulop, showed me around this great new battery system, uh, you know, grid scale, containerized, standardized, modular, repeatable. I thought, wow, we could do lots of things with this. It would be just like developing a power plant, but smaller. Mm -hmm. So one would think smaller should be easier, right? Well, these are good things to think through before you start a company. I didn't, uh, <laughs> but uh, you know the idea of what can you do with this great new technology? We'll do this for a year or two, see where it goes. And it went a little bit, uh, not nearly as fast as I'd hoped, but the bug caught, and uh, so you know you find yourself uh, continuing on. And so you go, just to clarify the bug, you mean the like what you were doing caught on, or you just got the the entrepreneurial I got the bug, the entrepreneurial bug. Yeah. So, yeah, what I was going on did not quite catch on at that, that time. <laughs> okay, <laughs> um, and, and so over the course of years, you know, you start to build the connections that you need. Nowadays, you know, Mass Challenge was just starting; they were in the Cambridge uh, co-working space, mm -hmm. the C three, uh, until they uh, busted out of there by growing so fast, and, and so. You see the possibilities, um, but it's it, it's an interesting thing. You know, there's this uh, fail fast mantra. Mm -hmm. I did not follow it. <laughs> <laughs> and so, if you had to do it all over again, what would you do differently? 
uh, I would be a much better storyteller and raise money first. <laughs> so, so that's interesting. So I think, and I think that would probably be somewhat of the conventional wisdom now. I mean, it's such a, it's a, it's a tough conundrum, right? It's the valley of death problem. It's you need to develop something to raise money. You need to raise money to develop something. So it sounds like when you started, you had this idea and you were like, oh, build this idea and raise some money later. But you think if you did it all over again, you'd go to the investors first? When you're trying to change the nature of business in a certain field, in this case, you know, the uh, electric power grid, you have to be you know, an evangelist for that vision, for that idea. And I think that's very compelling, and that's what draws in, you know, we've got all sorts of people wanting to be interns, all people want to be suppliers, people want to finance the projects. Had I known talking a good story would draw all that in earlier, I would have done a lot more of that. Mm-hmm. Cool. What do, you, what do you like best about what you do now? I like the creativity of it um, because, you know, we're, we're not so set in our path uh, that there isn't a lot of innovation, a lot of uh, newness. You know, even though Elon Musk has now come on the scene <laughs> and really uh, conveyed the idea that, you know, batteries don't just need to go into cell phones and cars, you know, it'd really be kind of helpful to have these in buildings. It's still a new idea, and I find myself you know, having fun explaining it and, hmm. you know, iterating on the, on the, on the model. What's the most frustrating thing? Especially with my background, uh, jack of all trades, master of none. Mm-hmm. And so you can go really far down, you know, you know, an engineering or build path and then completely switch to contract management and, uh, you know, finance and, you know, figuring out the accounting for the month. And, it's fun to have that diversion, but that switch is kind of a little bit of a whipsaw uh, if you're doing it all the time. Sure. And that's a tough skill to master, the task switching, right? Like yeah. the many gurus of efficiency <laughs> tell you the time lost, like between task switching. And I know for me, I just, and it's a, med, it's a mental befuddlement, you know, <laughs> switching. Not only do I lose time, it's, it's just exhausting. So and, uh, that's, uh, that's my experience. Okay, cool. That's what I wanted to ask. <laughs> And what I wanted to ask was, what would you, what advice would you give to a a new entrepreneur who's looking to start a business in clean tech in Boston? So a new entrepreneur is looking to start a business in clean tech and Boston, clean tech specifically. I'd say jump into something like this, whether it's Mass Challenge, which now has, I believe, an energy track, or Clean Tech Open, which I highly recommend. It did wonders for us. Start. You know, mm-hmm. get Bill Allett's book and work out a few of the steps and, you know, and, uh, <laughs> figure and, out the rest as you figure go. out the rest as you go along <laughs> um, and start with one of these, because what they provide you, no matter which one it is, is a network of people. And you start, it's like a ball of thread. You just start pulling and be open to help. You've got to get out there and have all those holes poked into it. And there are hundreds of people around here who will help you do that and do it, you know, out of the kindness of their hearts. Um, and these programs focus them in on that, and they can do it in a structured way. And my other question was, so you founded Sparkbrook Plower in 2009. That's correct. A lot of entrepreneurs uh, struggle through the valley of death, and a lot don't make it. How have you stayed motivated to stick with Sparkbook Power and keep at it and 
remain committed to your idea? You got to savor the successes that you have. Hmm. Um, it is an enormous struggle, but the sense of accomplishment you get for making progress is wonderful. The ability to create your own world is irreplaceable, and you you may not get that in a uh, you know in a big corporation or in another environment or an academic setting. Um, and so for me, that's what's kept me going. That and an incredibly supportive spouse. And the successes are wonderful. You know, building a team is, is incredible fun. Uh, having an idea come to fruition is just great. And so if you can see that in your future, that's why you stick at it. And I've had just enough glimpses of, uh, <laughs> of wonder to, uh, to make, me, make me keep swinging away. That's great. I love that answer. Very yeah. cool. So you've mentioned a few times the importance of telling a good story and how that's something you wish you had. It sounds like you wish you had done earlier on is learn how to tell a good story. Yeah. What's the, how do you tell a good story? Like what, is, what are the elements of telling a good, compelling story and getting people to care about what you're doing? Uh, so you find a way to incorporate things from, from real life, from you know, the Super Bowl, who was, you know, used to be a good example until the years passed, where the, the, uh, you know, the, they had you know, two sources of uh, grid power and yet, you know, their lights would, couldn't come back on fast enough because they hadn't had that ride-through power. And uh, what they found was, you know, you had, you know, 100 million people watching nothing for 30 minutes. Uh, so take those things that life presents you and, and incorporate them into the story. Uh, but the other thing is, uh, you've actually got to get out there, what I said for these incubators, and, uh, and test your idea to make sure, you know, you clean up your, your rambling plot lines here uh, yeah, and, and get better at the simple, you know, physical repetition of it. So when I started, you know, saying the same thing over and over and over again, uh, that is actually challenging, uh, at least it is for me. And what I've found from talking to other, you know, founders and all, and it's like, but it's, uh, I had someone help me uh, do that over the course of four days. Uh, I finally get to the point where like, okay, we're going we're gonna to learn this, and it's going to be painful, but by the time you get done with this, this will be your pitch, and you will be able to effectively present it. Yeah, that, that's, you know, that's a skill you have to, have to have to be an entrepreneur. We're trying to change the framework in which you see something that is already known to you. So you asked me about energy. Energy arbitrage is something everybody else, oh, you buy low at night and you sell high during the day. And while that is partially correct and the logical thing to leap to it's not exactly what we're doing mm -hmm. and so you you know we as, as sparkplug power have to find a way to mm. gently tweak or nudge that into the direction where we say yes and even more importantly this is what we're doing yeah. we're shaving the peak load yeah and and so people can see it and uh, you know Batteries are terrible graphics. You know, they're not very sexy to show in pictures. No, it's really difficult. Yeah. Uh, Somebody who works at a battery company, it's really hard. Yeah, yeah. What, do you, what do you show? A bunch of electrodes? Great. Actually, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I have senior marketing. <laughs> um, it's the clarity and stripping away all of the extraneous things to get to that, that, that viewpoint and being able to stick on to that until you can convince enough people that you've, yeah, you've got some runway. Cool. I dig it. All right, so I think I'll still ask my, my yeah. final, final question. Yeah. 
Where does your personal passion for this project come from? Is sustainability important to you personally, or is there something else? You know, electrification of our life is the, uh, is the transformation from our petroleum age society to, you know, one of electrons. And it has a whole bunch of meaning in, you know, it's, uh, you know, as the uh, Sheikh Yamani of, of OPEC said, you know, we didn't run out of, you know, you, know, uh, you know, the Stone Age didn't end because we ran out of stones. It ended because we came up with a better idea, uh, <laughs> to paraphrase him. Uh, and, you know, we're not going, in my opinion, to run out of oil. Uh, we're going to come up with a better idea. And so the power of technology to positively change our lives. It's also, you know, what could we do better? You know, it's like, I don't, only like, you know, the sustainability aspect of it. But, you know, I started it on a 1950s minesweeper. Uh, and, you know, we would rip off stuff from the ones that were being decommissioned and put in a winch here and there. And, you know, we had motor controllers with strips of tinfoil essentially in them. And then I go from that to the latest and greatest, you know, new construction destroyer in the U.S. Navy. It was 40 years of development. And you can see in that time frame. What is possible? You know, tremendous, uh, you know, advancement in technology in a lifetime, in not even a lifetime, in half a lifetime. And to think that we're satisfied with, you know, grandfathered coal plants that were built in 1950 and are spewing stuff into the air is appalling to me. And we, especially, you know, here at the epicenter of all this startup technology, uh, can certainly find a way to do better. Um, so, you know, that's what I, you know, why I keep doing this. Cool. I love that. That's excellent. So in the show notes, you will find more on Spark Creek Plower and Sean Becker. Thank you so much for sitting down with us and taking time out of Energy Bar tonight. Um, yeah. It is Greentown's drinks. birthday. It's Greentown's birthday. It is birthday cake waiting May for us. May the fourth be with you. Yes. <laughs> um, and if you would like to support the show, please tell a friend, tweet at us, at TalkCleanPod um, on Twitter or Instagram. Um, you can also be downloaded on iTunes, as I found out. Yes, That yes, is we correct. Can. <laughs> and follow us on SoundCloud, please. Um, so many ways to follow. All of the ways. If you're not doing any of them, you should. More ways to come. Pick one. All right. Yes. Um, and please give us a review. Uh, five star reviews. We'll get a challenge. Okay, I had a good one last time, and I, and I totally forgot it, but I have another one. Did I do the one where we need to pick a name for our listeners? No. So I think if by the time you're listening to it, you haven't picked a name. So we don't have anything to call our listeners, and I love it when a podcast has a good name to call their listeners. And I had a really good one. Um, Cleanophiles? No, it's not a good one, and my wife hated it, but I really liked Cleanophiles. It but, might uh, be on your website. <laughs> <that one. laughs> but we are open to suggestions. <laughs> right. So hurry up and give us a suggestion. Or otherwise, otherwise, you're all cleanophiles. <laughs> please, please give us a review. Um, and that's it for tonight. I think that's it. Subscribe, listen, give us five stars. Uh, go check out Spark Plug Power and all the cool work they're doing. And uh, did you have any other plugs you want to mention? The uh, well, you can follow us on Twitter at Spark Plug Power. Uh, and uh, I mentioned earlier Boston Batteries and Brews. Our next event Do will it. be at a local brewery on June 9th after we all submit our proposals for the Aces nice. uh, Mass CC RFP. 
That's TBD. TBD. Well, <laughs> well a good one. Okay, cool. And last note. Um, I think this is going to be our final episode of season one. Season one, yeah. Um, so after this episode comes out, there will be a, a few-month break while Joe and I uh, make a plot. Yeah. Plot a plan. I don't know. A few months uh, sounds excessive, but yeah, we do want to... Uh, look back over the 12 or so episodes we've done so far and um, figure out what we can do better. So if you have thoughts on that, please email us at feedback at talkleanpodcast.com. I feel like that's not it. Well, I, I'm much. Uh, I'm excited to be part of the season finale, and uh, not a Game of Thrones season finale. <laughs> no. He's still alive. It's uh, yeah. Feedback at talkcleanpodcast.com. Yes. All right. Cool. Thank you, everybody. Thanks, Sean. So, for all listeners and future entrepreneurs, I expect a flying car sometime within my lifetime. Would be nice. How about a hovercraft? Yes. Yeah, well, I'll settle for a hover car, <laughs> like a Professor Frank hovercraft. I'd yeah, take that. Jetsons. Called State of Charge. I mean, we've all, you know, the battery business has great potential, you know, uh, <laughs> and we have capacity to get better. And, uh, you Oof. know, there's, uh, there's, a, there's a bunch more of these that we can trot out.